This is episode 34 of The Investor's Podcast. Broadcasting from Bel Air, Maryland, this is The Investor's Podcast. They'll read the books and summarize the lessons. They'll test the waters and tell you when it's cold. They'll give you actionable investing strategies. Your host, Preston Pish and Sting Broderson. All right, how's everybody doing out there? This is Preston Pish, and I'm your host for The Investor's Podcast. And as usual, I'm accompanied by my co-host, Stig Broderson, out in Denmark. And I'll tell you what, folks, we have a major player on the show today. His name is Joshua Dorkin, and he is the founder and CEO of BiggerPockets.com. Uh, Joshua has been featured on numerous uh, channels uh, like CNBC, Bloomberg, Business Week, NPR, Entrepreneur Magazine, AOL, uh, a whole bunch of others. And his community that he stood up is a uh, community that specializes in real estate and investing in real estate. And so we've had a lot of people on our show that are very interested in investing in real estate. So we thought Josh would be the perfect guest for you today. And also Josh uh, has a podcast of his own. So if you guys ever want to check out his podcast, it's over at Big biggerpockets.com and you can find that on iTunes and also his website. Uh, but Josh, fantastic. We are just thrilled to have you on the show um, and we're really excited to get to uh, some of the questions we got for you. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for having me guys. All right. So uh, Stig, I think you got the first question. So uh, go ahead and fire away. Okay. Uh, so today you are a big authority in real estate uh, online, Josh, and if people out there, they're looking for you for advice. Now, I know from uh, listening to you before that you had a very humble beginning and you are not afraid of talking about how you lost money in your first real estate deal. Um, what did you learn from that experience? Sure. So we, we all make mistakes. Let's, let's start there, right? Uh, as, as a real estate investor, if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not doing anything. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's almost impossible to... Um, do this business, get into this, this field without uh, mess, messing up. So, uh, you know, my, technically my first real estate deal was uh, this condo that I bought um, in California and, and lived in and, and actually did make money on that. So I, that, that went well, <laughs> that went well. Although I learned a, a whole hell of a lot of, uh, uh, in, in doing that, you know, I, I, I rant and rave about, uh, um, uh, you know, condos and boards and, and things like that and all the chaos that, that can come with uh, buying a property uh, with a board. Um, uh, lots of things kind of leave your control when, when you do that. But um, yeah, I, you know, I, I was inspired by my brother who had uh, purchased a, a bunch of property and, and he had come to me and said, Hey Josh, you, you know, I know you're kind of sitting uh, with, with some money on the side. Um, why don't you buy some real estate? And I said, Oh, well, sure. You know, let's do this. Yeah. I'm a smart guy. I can just go and pick up some property and figure it out. And, and so, um, I did that and, um, turns out smart doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I had bought property thousands of miles away, um, because it was <clears throat> cheap, 
Um, which, and, and it, people, people now give me a hard time because I rant and rave about places like Detroit and, and say, Hey, you're crazy. If you buy in Detroit, I'm, I don't think you're crazy. If you buy in Detroit, I think you're crazy. If you buy in Detroit and you don't actually know Detroit. Um, and, yeah. and so, um, I bought in a place that I thought I knew that I really was unfamiliar with. And I was, you know, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to buy inexpensive property that should on, on paper have good returns, but, at the end of the day, you, you know, you buy a property in a, uh, you know, sea level neighborhood, um, you're dealing with war zones. And so I bought property in a war zone, a uh, property that um, was difficult to manage, was difficult to screen tenants for, uh, was difficult to oversee, it was difficult to deal with turnover. Um, and I got myself in a lot of trouble. Um, and, and so not you know, actual trouble, but, you know, financially it was, it was really a, a challenge. And, and, and so I, I made a, I made a lot of mistakes and, and as a result, I started this platform. I started bigger pockets because, um, I was looking for answers to the questions that I had after the fact, a little, a little too late, but you know, it's okay. Uh, we, um, and, um, I, at the time, the landscape of the internet and the landscape of kind of what was out there was very different. And, and so, you know, at least what I saw as the only viable sources of, of education in the real estate investing field at the time, uh, they were the kind of get rich quick guys, the guys with the babes and bikinis and the mansions and the Ferraris and, and the late night commercials. And, and, you know, I, I saw that and I said, Oh, I don't trust this. <laughs> I really, you know, I don't believe that the information I'm getting is going to be, you know, uh, forthright. I, I believe that there's going to be something in there. It's going to be a pitch. There'll be some value and then I'm going to have to go do more. And, and I was right. And that's, that's kind of how that business works is there's a funnel and, you know, you, you get some free tidbits and then to get any more that's a value, you got to spend $997 and then you got 5,000, then 10,000, then 25 and then 50 yeah. and so on and so forth. And I was like, that's crazy. I, I don't believe it. So I started bigger pockets. It was, it was a community of me. Um, <laughs> it was a form of one. <laughs> wow. That sounded cool, Josh. Yeah. A community yeah. of me. I want to do that too. <laughs> yeah, man. Answering my own questions. No, I, I, I couldn't, I can totally yeah. empathize with this. Cause when we started the Warren Buffett forum, that's what it was like. It was like, you know, there's five people on there. We're like answering each other's questions. We don't even know yeah. what we're talking about. And then like it grows and you're yeah. just like, it's such a awesome experience, but go ahead. I'm sorry. To please come. <laughs> yeah. I beg please, you somebody, you know, so I, you know, began to, to kind of build up this, this community little by little people would drip in. I was doing these internet marketing techniques before the internet marketing was internet marketing. And, you know, I mean, sadly we predate, you know, the MySpace. you know, it was, MySpace was getting hot at the time. So, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm a dinosaur here, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, little by little people would come and, and would actually help out and answer questions. And, and I got value and suddenly they got value because, you know, they would help somebody and it felt good to help out. And there's this level of kind of mentorship that, that comes with that. And, and it started to grow and it was organic and little by little. Um, and, and so what was, what was cool was one day I realized that this was not just a place where I'm getting help for myself, but people are helping each other and it's actually becoming a community. Yep. So I, 
you know, what was this selfish um, beginning became something that could help others. So, so my tragic misfortune and, and, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in losses in real estate turned out to be, um, uh, a gold mine because today, you know, we've got millions and millions of people who, who come to bigger pockets across the various channels. And, and, uh, we're, you know, our goal is to help people not make as many mistakes, you know, to be successful, to connect with other people, to find partners, to find opportunities and to learn. And, and so, um, you know, mistakes, mistakes are okay. They're going to happen. The key is to, um, educate yourself up front to the point that you can mitigate those mistakes and, and, um, know at least how to proceed if, if you do start making those mistakes. Yeah. A lot of people don't even know this, but that's how Stig and I met was on our uh, Warren Buffett forum. Oh, nice. Yeah. So yeah. here we are. We got our own show together now. And just like I, it almost <laughs> feels like I've known Stig my whole life. But it's it's weird to think that that's how we originally met was on the forum. That's so, so cool. You were yeah. two people on the forum. Or <laughs> Oh, you guys are the first two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were just talking back and forth to each other. <laughs> Oh my, that's awesome. That's great to hear the background and how you kind of got your start there, Josh. Uh, so, okay, I'll go to my question here. So this one, we're, we're really changing gears here compared to the first question. But um, so I bought a house and this is the first house that I bought a few years back. And um, I bought it at post the 2008, 2009 uh, massive crash, real estate crash. And um, I was able to lock in a very good interest rate at three and a half percent. And um, at the time, I had the opinion that I would have taken out a hundred year loan if they would have given me a hundred year loan because the interest rate was so low. And I wanted to put down as little amount of money as possible on it because I felt like with inflation that I anticipated to occur, I might actually even make money on the loan if inflation was higher than three and a half percent. So here I am owning this house. And now as the market conditions continue to change, I've got a growing concern because I'm going to have to sell my house probably within the next five years. Uh, that's the that's the position that I'm in. So my concern is that I have an increasing um, concern that um, these long-term interest rates have been highly manipulated by the Federal Reserve. Um, and I don't think that there's too many people out there that would uh, dispute that fact. Um, you even have like Ben Bernanke going on and, you know, talking about how his quantitative easing was specifically pointed towards the long year treasury in order to manipulate the long term interest rates. So my concern is, is if I'm looking to potentially sell this house in the next you know couple years um, and let's say that there is a market downturn, I'm concerned that these long term interest rates cannot continue to persist at such low rates and if the rates go up, do you see the housing prices kind of collapsing and going down? Is that a, is that a legitimate concern that I have? I, I think it's legit. Uh, the 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 market is is I'd say there's no doubt that it's being manipulated. Uh, you know, I my 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 home I refinanced at three and a quarter. I think you know I'm sitting on a, a thirty year loan at three and a quarter. And like you said, I was like, holy. You know, let, let's it's crazy. You know, let, th- this is crazy. Well, we just bought a new house because that house uh, we've outgrown. I've got three kids and 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 um, need more space. And so, you know, over the past couple months, I've been dealing with this the, the the equation of you know I'd be crazy to get rid of a house with a three and a quarter percent loan. Yeah. Yet I'm going to get rid of that house. Yeah. And the reason I'm going to get rid of the house is I did the math. 
And what the math tells me is that my return on that home at three and a quarter percent is going to be somewhere under 2% per annum um, as a rental property. And, you know, so is my cash better deployed in this home um, at two, 2% return or can I beat that? And, and I sure hope I could beat it, you know, and if I can't beat it, then, you know, I'm doing something wrong. Are you, so, are you accounting for the house potentially appreciating or just basically holding the value that it has? Holding the, I don't ever, okay. I don't, uh, you guys are a value investing show. I don't ever, ever, ever account for appreciation personally. Yeah. Uh, because you can't predict appreciation. Yeah. You cannot predict it. And, and so, you know, it's, it's the icing on the cake. You know, if you get appreciation, mm. that's great. Um, and you get all these other, you know, this, uh, this other value with, you know, you, you get tax incentives and things like that with, with uh, long-term holdings. But, you know, I, I think if you're savvy, you can, you can find other ways to get better returns. I mean, I could be a private money lender at 8% on, on, on my cash and, um, beating that 2% in, in, uh, this property. So, you know, it's hard. It's, you know, there's this emotional attachment saying, you know, Hey, I can't get rid of this house. This is crazy. This makes no sense that I should be able to own a home at three and a quarter percent. Um, I'd be nuts. You know, it's going to be worth, you know, X amount in, in 10, 20 years when I've paid the note off. But, you know, again, if, if it just kind of follows inflation and, and, you know, I, I could probably beat it. So, um, to your question on, you know, what's it going to do to the market long-term, short-term, um, I, I certainly think that it affects housing prices to the negative. Um, it's going to make it, um, harder, uh, for, for people to, to buy. Um, so theoretically, um, you know, it's, that's going to shrink that, the, 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 um, um, the buyer pool. Right. And, and, um, you know, I think over, over the long term, that's good. That's going to, to, um, reduce prices. It's going to increase rentership. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah. Now what that's great from an investor standpoint, if I'm a buy and hold investor, um, I've now got a strong pool of, of renters. And, and so, um, is that good for me or bad for me? I, I think at the end of the day, from, from the real estate, you know, I, I probably can talk more intelligibly about the investor market than just the traditional buy, you know, you know mom and pop buyer market. Um, and I'd say from that perspective, you know, yes, there are negatives, but there's also positives. You, you know, you, uh, all real estate first of all is local as, as they always say. And it's true. I mean, you, you, you know, during the bubble, you know, you had places like Las Vegas that were, you know, going crazy in Phoenix and you had other markets like, I don't know, well, Baltimore and, and (laughs) Milwaukee that were probably not. Um, and, and so real estate's definitively local. You're, you're in good markets. You're in a place where, where, you know, jobs are growing and, and, um, the, the economy is strong, then, then the market's going to be solid. So the key is, can I buy for cash flow now? You know, not stress the appreciation. And if prices drop, then, you know, theoretically cash flow probably is not going to shift that much, right? Rents could drop, but you know, it's, it's not as likely because rents themselves aren't tied to interest rates, right? So, um, what is the key? The key is, can I buy this piece of property at a 
property that at a property at a price that makes sense. You know, can I buy it at a discount? And, and, and so um, the place where a lot of investors mess up is they buy retail, they pay retail, they don't know how to account for all the numbers um, that go into um, an, an, an income property. They um, think, hey, listen, well, if my property is, uh, you know, if my mortgage is $1,000 and my taxes and insurance, right, and, and I make $1,200 a month in rent, then I got $200 in, in, in positive cash flow. But I mean, but, the, but you laugh, that's where, that's where 99% the analysis stops. Of people screw up. Yeah. That's where they mess up. Yeah. You know, they don't take into account vacancy rate. They didn't take into account, you know, cap X. They don't take into account, um, you know, management, even if they're managing their own properties, they don't take into account all these expenses that suddenly make that property a loser. Yeah. And, and they're, and they're so, looking at the top line, really at the, at the end of it, they're really just looking at the top line and they're not doing the hard risk analysis of, okay, what are the 10 other things that are going to go wrong? And then accounting for those into the equation to get absolutely. to the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. Which then makes opportunities for the, the, the sophisticated investors who are going in and, you know, listen, some people are going to say these guys are predators. They're actually saving these guys' backsides who are losing all this money on, on bad properties, but they're getting it at a great rate at a great price because, you know, they've lost so much. They got to get out, you know, tired landlords, um, people who just, you know, didn't do it right, who didn't evaluate it right and, and want to get out. And it's, you know, it's a really good um, body of people to get discounted properties from because they did it for X amount of time. They've just been bleeding for so long and they just, they just want somebody to take the property away from them. You're going to save my backside. I'm bleeding here. Take it away, please. And then I get it and I'm good. And, and so what you're really getting at is patience and doing your homework. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, if you're doing your homework and you actually know all those different things, and there's a book that I read, um, I cannot remember the name of it, that talks specifically about uh, coming up with valuation for uh, investing or, or for real estate. But we'll put that in the show notes whenever I find out what it is. I can't remember the name of it. I read it a long time ago. But that's sure. what it talks about. It talks about all these other critical variables that you've got to account for. And then you've got to be patient and you've got to wait for the right opportunity in order to pounce on it. And just because you make an offer on a, on a place that you really like, if the person's not willing to come to that price point that you think it's worth after all that analysis, you got to pass. Yep. Yeah. So, so um, I, I think one of the big mistakes that new investors make is they don't establish a criteria. They don't say, Hey, here's, well, first off, do the analysis. Secondly, establish some set of criteria that, I'm, I'm only looking at these kinds of properties that have, you know, these issues, you know, three twos and blue collar neighborhoods where, you know, there's got to be at least, you know, grocery store and this, that, and the other, you know, you, you kind of create your own criteria, right? Everybody builds their own box and, um, they, they don't do that. And then what happens is they, they find a deal that's awesome. They're like, Oh my God, this thing's amazing. And then they chase it. And they set, you know, their cap price is X amount of dollars. And they're like, all right, well, you know what? If I bid this to one, my say the price was 120 and I couldn't go above 120 
And I think, but I could get this for one twenty five. I'm emotionally in this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, man, you just went up five thousand mm. dollars on your offer. You you just destroyed your own criteria, and and now you're damaging your cash flow. So yeah. you can't do that. Every time I have a chance to talk about stocks, you know, <laughs> I think Preston knows this. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, but every time I have a chance to talk about stocks, I'm thinking, yes, I want to share this with the world. You know, so uh, I, I really think that you're completely right about the criteria thing, Josh. And one of the other things that you said uh, a few minutes ago was that you don't, uh, well, you might hope that you, your house will appreciate in value, but you don't count on it. And I, th- I think that's kind of like the same way Preston and I look at investing. Like we're looking at the earnings of a company and we, we, we don't, we hope that it will increase, but even though that it was just stable, you know, if, if that's a, I mean, that's a good business deal for us. Mm-hmm. If it can just sustain the earnings and you can still buy it at a good price. Yeah. And I guess it's the same thing you're saying about investing. Like if it increases in value, I mean, that's, that's amazing, but that is not what you are basing your investment decision on. And I think very few people do that. I think most people do try to account for, well, it's going to grow at 3% a year and the house will be worth, you know, a hundred thousand more within five years. And they, they actually build that into their model. And I think that that's a very bad thing. And I'm, I'm very impressed that you said that you did not do that. Cause I think very few people do. I agree. And, and, um, I think you can go and become an appreciation investor. So you can take, take my market. I'm, I'm in Denver, right? Um, Denver, and then you've got the city of Boulder, which is about a half hour away. Denver and Boulder is in the path of growth, right? The, the, you know, this, this market's crazy. Job growth is, is, is you know, fantastic here. And what you're seeing is the Denver-Boulder corridor filling in. So you got one city here, you got one city here. And before it was just, you know, emptiness and a few scattered ranches and things like that. And over the past decade, you've seen that entire thing fill in. So if you could have looked at the market and said, hey, job growth is booming. Everything is going the right way for Denver and the same for Boulder. You're going to make an extrapolation and say, hey, th- this quarter is going to kind of come together. Yeah. And so as that quarter comes together, you know, there's going to be some kind of pathway to growth. And so with that, you're going to see, you're going to see, you know, property values go up in that pathway. And, and so, you know, it is one way to go. Is it predictable? No, but nothing's really predictable. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? 
Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. The Holy Grail of Investing, the new book by Tony Robbins and co-written by investing legend Christopher Zook, reveals the secrets of alternative investments like private equity, venture capital, energy, real estate, sports franchises, and more. It features exclusive insights from investing titans who collectively manage more than $500 billion, including Robert F. Smith, Vinod Kosla, Michael B. Kim, and many others. In the holy grail of investing, you'll discover how to take advantage of the trillions flowing into private equity by becoming an owner of firms that actually manage the assets and share in the revenue they generate, how to take advantage of the two to three times higher returns of private credit as an alternative or complement to bonds, how to invest in the energy evolution and ride the wave of trillions in global investments, how investments in private real estate can work as an inflationary hedge and source of tax-efficient income, and how many of the world's greatest investors thrive in both good times and bad. The Holy Grail of Investing by Tony Robbins is available now wherever books are sold. All right, back to the show. Um, but, but, that's, you, you know, but that's something that's a very, there, there's a lot of people at play there. There's a lot of, that's a lot of area. And you could see a trend line. You could see, it, you know, you could look back at the last five, 10 years and see something that's what I would expect to be a fairly steady and stable trend line that could show you some type of predictive analysis of something in that area. Right. For sure. And and now let's go back to the cash flow. The guys who are buying five, five units and more. So, you know, a, a duplex, a triplex and a fourplex, uh, those are all considered small multifamilies. Uh, the small multifamilies are typically valued the same way that a house is valued. Uh, it's valued on comps. The, the nice thing about five units plus in, in the multifamily space is, you know, that's, that's valued based upon cap rates and, and it's, it's valued based upon multiples of income. And so the growth, you know, as, as, as a market goes up, that's not necessarily going to affect the value of a small multi, midsize or large multi. That's going to be determined based upon rents and, and other income that you can bring in. So, if you're somebody who's a value guy who says, you know, I don't care about appre- you know, appreciation from the market, um, you can actually drive appreciation with these small multis by making improvements, by reducing expenses, and suddenly your multiples are going to drive the value of your property. So you can take a property that's got, it's bringing in a thousand bucks a month. If you can cut your expenses, your multiple is going to be maybe the same, but the value at the end of the day on the property is going to worth, be worth more. Hey, real fast, uh, I mentioned that book that I was uh, originally talking about. The name of the book was The Small Business Valuation Book. I also want to highlight, Josh, I want you to be able to uh, talk about the book that you wrote about investing in real estate, if you want to throw that out to our audience, because I, I didn't say that in the intro. It's okay. I wasn't, I was, I wasn't going to give you grief about it. I was just <laughs> waiting for it to come at some point. No, we, we wrote a... Uh, 
Uh, I, we wrote a book, uh, myself and Brandon Turner, who's the co-host of the bigger pockets podcast, uh, called the ultimate beginner's guide to real estate investing. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on our site. And the idea behind the book was there are all these people that uh, many of whom are listening and many of whom are not, who are interested in real estate, but are scared that don't understand it, that don't know what to do, that, you know, all they know is, Hey, there's these guys selling courses, talking about getting rich or whatever it is. Right. And, and so we wanted to build, uh, to, to put together this kind of beginner's manual, if, if you would call it that to real estate investing. And it's, it's, it's the basics, you know, what are the niches that are, are out there? What are the strategies that are out there? What is flipping houses? How does it work? What is being a landlord? What is renting? What is a rental property? How do you evaluate? How do you do the math? Lots of basics. We don't hold anyone's hand and say, this is how to do a deal. Our platform helps with that. Our podcast talks about that. But this book is designed to give you the fundamentals so that you can actually speak the language so that you have the vocabulary and understanding to move forward and start planning out your path because everyone's going to have their own path. And this thing is designed for that. Uh, I actually have a, a question about that. Funny enough, that's about stock investing, but I'm also sure that is a, a question that you answer in your book because when I think of a stock investing, for instance, you know, it's it's fairly easy for me and I think for a lot of the listeners to have a understanding of how many stocks you need to buy to be diversified and perhaps also international exposure and with sectors. But how is it in real estate? I mean, if you buy a a home in Denmark, I mean, you're really exposed to Denmark, I guess. So how do you how do you diversify in real estate investing? What's your thoughts about that? Sure. And if you want to talk about the stock market stig, we can do that. I mean, you know, it's, it's your show, man. This is your world, baby. Um, so diversification uh, from a real estate portfolio perspective is just like your first property is going to really depend on who you are and what you're, what you want, what are your goals. But so I just mentioned niches and strategies. We, we've we kind of defined niches as things like land and single family houses and duplexes and multis and small apartments and, and commercial and REITs and mobile homes and so on and so forth. The strategies are things like buy and hold, flipping, wholesaling. And so you can have strategies in different niches and things like that. So you can diversify by just doing different niches in similar market. Um, and have different strategies. I, at the end of the day, what what's the best way to diversify? I guess it depends on what's your goal. So if you want a job, then you should flip houses. Flipping houses is not a passive activity. It's It's a fairly active activity. Buy and hold is far more passive, particularly if you've got, say, a property manager you still have to do some work. You got to manage the manager, things like that. But there's a, a pretty high level of passivity. Is that a word? Um, passiveness. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, in managing these, these rental properties. So I would tell somebody who's, who's looking to diversify, you know, first you have to figure out what niche you're going to start in, what, what's your goal. And, and then I think what we've seen over the years and talking to, to, you know, countless investors is what people will do for their own diversification is they'll start with one. Say they start with single family houses. I'm going to build a little portfolio of single family houses in a market that I know. Typically, we always tell people invest in a market that's no more than two hours away. Um, the reason we say that is because you want to be able to, especially as you're starting out, 
be able to very easily get out to that property. Yep. You know, if, if, if you do like I do and buy a property that's 2000 miles away that you have to get on a plane to go visit, <laughs> you're going to have a hell of a hard time or a really expensive bill every time you want to go out and check it out. Um, so, you know, if you can start to, you know, pick up houses, it's like the monopoly game, right? You, you buy little, little green houses and suddenly you're, you're confident and comfortable, you know, have a, 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 you know, a solid understanding of that. You know, maybe you move up to the small multi and you buy, you know, a duplex or a threeplex or a fourplex, you get some experience there. And then they move up to the, the, the small, mul- you know, the, the midsize multis, you know, five plus units. Um, and now they're managing apartments, you know, maybe they have in-house managers, things like that, you know, so you, you kind of build up and, and this is again, just based upon what I've seen from countless people, this is the typical, if there is one path. Um, and from there, you know, maybe they say, Oh, okay, well, cool. Now we've got all this cash going. Um, we've got cash flow. It's predictable. I want to play around in development and, and see if I can kind of get that big pop and, and go from there. But you know what? That's a guy who's going full-time into real estate. That's not the guy who's working a full-time job and, you know, just trying to build wealth for his family who may just want one or two properties. So diversification is going to be diversified based upon who you are, right? So, so there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, you can diversify by buying turnkey rentals, properties at a distance managed by, you know, these, these quote turnkey companies. Um, you can buy houses in different markets and, and so, you know, Josh, the turnkey. So what you're saying is there's companies out there that you could hand over. Let's say you bought a foreclosed property. This turnkey company would come in and basically turn it around for you at a, at a price that you knew, a fixed price up front that they would maybe they would come out and give you an estimate beforehand before you'd even purchase it. Is that what you're referring to? No. So uh, it, there's this niche within our, within the investing space of companies that they, they call themselves turnkey companies. And what they do is they go, they find the discounted properties, they fix them up, they put renters in and they say, Hey, Josh, come buy this turnkey property. So I go, I buy it and it's already been fixed up. It's already, you know, got a renter in there and they're going to, they're going to manage it. Now, you know, for anyone who hears this and says, Hey, I'm going to, Oh, that's great. I'm going to just go jump on and buy the next property from a turnkey company just be careful. I mean, there's, you know, just like anything else, there's shady operators in, in, you know, every space there's, there tend to be a few more in the real estate space. Uh, there are definitely some good ones, but you know, do your homework, um, get reviews, find out who, you know, who these people are, get, you know, track records and things like that. And, and that goes with everything in real estate. I mean, whether you're, dealing with contractors, the bane of the investor's uh, life, uh, or, <laughs> um, you know, or, or any kind of company that's, that's offering services, uh, management companies, you name it. It's funny you bring up the contractor because that leads right into my next question. So uh, my wife loves these shows on TV where these, these people, I don't know the names of any of these shows, but uh, these people come in and they find this this house that's just tore up, looks horrible, and they come in and they basically do a whole renovation on the house. And you know, may, they might buy the house for two hundred thousand. They do one hundred and fifty thousand worth of renovation, so they have three hundred and fifty into the house, and then they sell it for four fifty. And so this is flipping homes. Um, and I always tell my wife as I'm kind of walking by and she's watching this show, I say, you know, that would be a great business if you owned your own contracting company and you had sunk cost people that are, you know, doing those things. 
And I feel like maybe that's the only way to really be successful at flipping homes. Um, I'm really curious to hear if you kind of have the same opinion or if there's other people that you've talked to that are house flippers that don't own their own contracting company and necessarily how they do it. So, um, you know, uh, you're about to get me going. (laughs) (laughs) I think the flipping shows are one of the best things for the investing business. And I think they're one of the worst things for the investing business. They're great because they're, you know, they make it sexy and they make it interesting. Um, They're terrible because most of them uh, lie. Um, (laughs) And and it's not outright lies. It's just lies by omission. Yeah. They they get all the furniture from free from Ikea. If they put up their advertisement on the ship. I don't know what they're doing. I'm not going to call, you know, I know the names of the shows. I'm not going to mention them by name so they don't get mad at me or you, but you know, that property that they paid 154, they spent a hundred on renovation, whatever you just said. And you know, so they were 250 all in yeah. and you know, they sold for 350. No, that 250 all in was 250 for repairs, 250 for labor. It was not 250 for the time hold, uh, the time value of money yeah. that they had to borrow cost of capital. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was not the, the, the cost of capital. It was not their holding costs. It was not all sorts of other things that that show never told you about. At the end of the day, that guy may, you know, may have walked away with five grand or may have lost 50, you know, you, you don't know. Yeah. And so um, is flipping is it possible for flipping to be a profitable endeavor for somebody who does not own a contracting company? Absolutely. Absolutely. I said it earlier though. Flipping is a job. You're not going to go and say, Hey, I'm going to flip houses while I'm working my full-time job and (laughs) get it done, you know, during your lunch break. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so, you know, there's, a whole hell of a lot that goes along with flipping a house. Um, and, and, and so you, you, you gotta know real estate. You have to know the numbers again, this, this, everything in real estate goes back to the numbers. And I think most people get it wrong because they don't realize that. So if I'm there, there's the, we call it the flipper formula. Um, it's uh, the 70% rule. Um, and so if you want to flip a house, we tell people, if you're going to flip a house, then you want to just pay attention to the 70% rule. Now it's not a strict thing that you have to pay attention to, but you're increasing the likelihood of success by doing it. So the 70% rule says that you want to pay 70% of the after repair value. So that's the sell retail sale value at the end. You want to pay 70% of the after repair value minus the repairs. So an example of that, let me try and it's early here in in Denver. These guys had me on at 7am on a Sunday. But uh, Sorry about that, by the way. I was pretty sure you were looking on the East Coast. Uh, you know, we tell that to everybody that's yeah, out it's all that's everybody. Yeah, sure you as East long Coast. as it's convenient to you, Stig, we're good, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so here's an example. This house is going to sell for $100,000 after I fix it up. Okay. I want to pay no more than 70% minus the cost of repairs. So if it would cost me 10000 to repair, I don't want to pay any more than $60,000 for this property. That's going to sell for $100,000. Yep. Um, and, and what that does is it pads you. It protects you. It ensures that you've got some level of profit. You've calculated your profit into the property beforehand. 
no single house flipper has ever gotten the uh, numbers right on their first deal. And you know, that's an exaggeration, but odds are pretty, pretty slim that you're going to, you're typically going to do have cost overruns. You're typically going to take longer than you think. Um, and, and so what that does is it gives you, it gives you some sense of padding, uh, to ensure that you walk away with, with some kind of profits. I mean, the, the, the negatives of flipping houses are frightening. You know, you can overpay, you can hire bad contractors. That's almost a given, almost guaranteed. <laughs> um, finding financing, uh, you know, selling at the price that you actually expect. I would think like mold and things like that you can't see on like when you go into the house and you're like looking around, you're like, okay, well, yeah, this looks like this needs about $10,000 worth of work. But then whenever you pull the, the ceiling layer off or whatever, there's Whoops. not a support structure there. There's like all sorts of things that you start figuring out after you already paid for it that were yeah. really your high risks that you don't necessarily see. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and especially as you, as somebody who's new at this, you know, it, it takes time to acquire that skill. You know, real estate investing is art plus science. And, and the art is, you know, as a real estate investor on a, a property, you know, when you first look at a property and your realtor says, Hey, this thing is worth X, Y, Z. And you're like, okay, great. You know, as you go, you know, over time, one of the things we tell new investors is go see every house that's in a market. You want to see every house for sale in a market. If you do that, you can probably acquire the skill set to eyeball what that property is worth. You know, after you've looked at 50 or 100 houses, you kind of yeah. know what houses are worth. Well, the same goes with with flips and, and other things. You, you know, you can go into houses and for the most part predict, but you're not going to predict everything. There's going to be mold behind the walls. There's going to be, you know, who knows? You want to, you know, pull up that carpet and find that really nice, beautiful hardwood. Well, wait, it's not there. Whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, so Josh, I can't help to think like you've been talking about buy and hold and, and flipping and we also talked about fix and flip and, and other strategies. You know, when do I know which strategy is the right one for me specifically? How do you determine that? That's going to depend on who you are. It totally is going to depend on, on who you are and I'll, I'll go there in a second. I, I love I you go saying back. that because I'm saying the exact same thing when people are saying, how should I invest? And I'm always saying, it depends on you, Josh. You it know? does. Well, let me go back a second. That works because, so well. Yeah, I'm not going to answer your question. Uh, I, I want to go back to the flipping because there, there is something, uh, you know, I talked a lot about the negatives. There, there, is, there is a way to do it, though. You know, A, you can do it. I mean, if you really take the time and have somebody that you can potentially partner with or things like that. But another way of doing it is the live and flip. And so th what that is, is that's buying a property that's, that's in bad shape and sucking it up. You know, that's, you know, you're living in a place that's got a 1960s kitchen and you're fixing it up little by little by little over the next, you know, year or so you've, you've put in the time you've done it on nights and weekends and, but, but you're, you're also living there. So you're deferring that holding cost by paying your mortgage, you know, instead of paying rent, you're living in this property and you're fixing it at the same time. So live and flip is, is a decent strategy for, you know, at least getting to understand what house flipping is like um, at the same time as getting the value out of living in a property. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of cut back to that part. That's kind of something we kind of call house hacking a little bit. House hacking 
and I'm, I am going to get to your question, by the way, but I do think your listeners <laughs> sure. want to hear this because I, I, it's, it's something that, that we really encourage, especially young people who don't have a lot of ties. Um, once you get married and have kids and things like that, if that's your path, um, it becomes harder to house hack. But house hacking is you, you go, you buy a, a duplex or you buy a triplex or a fourplex. Uh, typically, we, we say do it with a small multi and you live in it. So the nice thing about that is uh, up to a fourplex, you're getting conventional financing on these properties. So you can get a good, you know, reasonable uh, loan. You go, you can even get an FHA loan, which, you know, is, is really cheap. And you now have a property that you're living in. You're also renting out, so you're getting rental income and you're deferring your own costs. So say I'm spending X amount of dollars on rent, uh, you know, I can go and house hack, buy a small multifamily, live in one of the units, rent out the other units, and I may even make money and not have any cost of living. House hacking is a really cool strategy. We write about it a bunch on on, on Bigger Pockets. We talk about it on the podcast, and it's something that um along with, you know, live in flips is a really good way to get exposure to real estate investing to see if you're, if you're cut out for it. You know, if you turn out to try this live in flip and, and, you know, you realize how much you hate tenants and toilets, um, <laughs> then you're, uh, you know, maybe you should try a different niche, a different strategy, which goes to your question. I told you I was going to answer it, um, <laughs> which is there is no one path. Let's start there, right? There's no one stock I have to buy, Stig, right? I mean, unless, <laughs> I unless it's Berkshire you, Hathaway, maybe, you know. <laughs> you know but him so well already. <laughs> yeah, but um, so there's, listen, there's no, there's no one path, right? It's going to depend on who you are, where you are, what you are. You know, if you are a 22-year-old guy who's, you know, got cash sitting on the side, you're going to take one path that's going to be very different than a guy who's 65, who's married, who's got, you know, no money towards retirement and needs to get there quick. Everybody's going to have a different path. You know, you've got to look at where you are in life. What are your goals? Um, are you looking to be an active investor or a passive investor? So active investor, we call it investor, but is flipping houses really investing? No, it's kind of, like I said, it's a job. You're not investing. I think actual investing is just buy and hold. That's investing, right? Yeah. Um, otherwise you're flipping, you're, you're trading, you're like a day trader. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com WSB. That's fundrise.com slash WSB. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Today's show is sponsored by public.com. 
That's where you can earn 5.1% APY with the high yield cash account. While we can't say for certain it's the highest interest rate there is, we can say this. It's a higher rate than Robinhood, a higher rate than SoFi, a higher rate than Ally, a way higher rate than Bank of America and Chase, a higher rate than Citi, Wells Fargo, Discover, and it's a higher rate than American Express too. So if you want to start earning 5.1% APY on your cash, check out public.com. We can't say it's the highest interest rate, but it's pretty damn up there. This is a paid endorsement for public investing. 5.1% APY as of March 26, 2024 and is subject to change. A high yield cash account is a secondary brokerage account with public investing, member FINRA slash SIPC. Funds from this account are automatically deposited into partner banks where they earn a variable interest and are eligible for FDIC insurance. Neither public investing nor any of its affiliates is a bank. U.S. only. Learn more at public.com slash disclosures slash high dash yield dash account. As many of you know, I love studying businesses and networking with business owners. The more I've studied businesses, the more I've realized that starting and scaling your business is easier than ever because of companies like Shopify. Did you know that Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S.? Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify even helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. What I personally love about Shopify is that it's the turnkey solution to kickstart and grow your business, and they are totally committed to giving you the necessary tools to succeed as a business owner. Plus, they have an award-winning customer support team there to help you every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify dot com slash WSB. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash WSB now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash WSB. All right, back to the show. Let's see here. So the next question I got um, is one that I think a lot of people have this question because uh, whenever you think real estate, you got to have a lot of startup capital. Um, I mean, if you're going to do a, a four unit or a six unit, I mean, you've got to have some money in your pocket in order to do this because you have to have a down payment. Uh, the bank's just not going to hand out loans to somebody who wants to do it with a business plan and, and no money. So um, I guess the question I got for you, Josh, is how do people... Um, if you don't have a large down payment, is there any tricks? Is there any hacks for being able to get into the real estate business um, without having that large down payment? Well, I'm going to plug a book. We were now actually, <laughs> I would, I will plug a book later. Um, but um, the, the there's no trick. Um, there's no secrets in real estate. And again, anyone who says there are, run away. Uh, do not <laughs> listen to that person. There's there's really. There are no secrets. Um, uh, I'd say I'm going to answer it by not answering it. No, no I'm not <laughs> going to do that this time. Uh, if you don't have money, you need to get money. I mean, that's, that's one 
answer and and I do believe in it. Um, if you are dead broke, you're dead broke for a reason. And the odds are you're probably not in a good position to become a real estate investor at that get point. Your financial, get your financial house in order. And at that point, you're probably better positioned to get into the game. If you're flat broke, the odds of being successful in real estate are slim. There are strategies where you can invest with no to little money, but you need to have money in order to do it. So you can invest with, you can invest with no money. But that doesn't mean you can do it without having any money, if that makes sense. Um, there, I, there was a distinction there, right? Um, and and let me let me explain. So there's there's a strategy for called wholesaling. Wholesaling, you're flipping contracts on properties. It's essentially, to to put it briefly, you go, you lock up a property, and you you sell that contract to somebody else. Um, who then closes on the property and you make a cut, you make a, it's illegal in some places, you know, I'm not going to say where it's legal, where it's illegal. It's up to the investor to, to, you know, do their homework, talk to their lawyer, but it's a strategy now. So if I can go, I can lock up a property and then sell the contract. I can make that split. This is called a wholesale, but I'm never going to get that property without having any money because I've got to go and do marketing. I've got to go and find that property. And to find that property, it costs time, time, money, hustle, whatever it costs, but you got to get that property. Same applies for like buy and holds and flips and things like that. There are ways to get acquire properties with no to little cash. But at the end of the day, you need some cash to be able at least to kind of get the ball going. One of, one of the strategies that we... Um, that we talk about. Well, first off, and and so with with that in mind, if you don't have money and you want to get into real estate, get a job in real estate. Yeah. Get a job, J O B, in the field that you want to ultimately kind of spend your life in and 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 do that. So get become a real estate agent, become a contractor, become an appraiser, you know, get a get a job that pays you money and when you have money you can then go and invest it. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic advice. I mean, that's exactly, you know, if you don't have any money, get get involved in what your interest is. And yeah. that's a that, that's a form of investing in itself or go out and read, you know, Josh's book or read other people's books on on investing or in real estate. And whenever you're doing this, you might not be able to accumulate real cash or real returns. But that knowledge is planting a seed. And, and what you're doing is you're able to warp yourself uh, into a position that whenever you do have the cash to invest, you already know what to do because you've invested the time to understand it and to learn and to have that foundation, that knowledge base to act upon. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 so, you know, there, there's various ways to invest with, quote, no money. You know, you can work with partners, you can get harder private money, um, wholesaling, things like that. Um, I, I, I want to talk about partners because I think it's one of the more viable ways to, to do it. So you Preston are broke and Stig there's loaded as we know, he's got yes. the fancy as shirt you know. on, you know, <laughs> we can't compete with him. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so you Preston say, you know what? 
I wanted, I want to do some deals and, and Stig's like, yeah, you know what? I also want to do deals. I've got some cash sitting on the side and you press and say, I have nothing. I'm dead broke, but I've got time. So you say, Stig, let's cut a deal. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to find the deal. You're going to finance it. Um, and we're going to split the profits. So you guys work together as a team. You take one part, he takes the other part. And suddenly you've got this deal. You're not making, Stig wasn't going to buy the deal anyway before you um, because he didn't have the time to go and find it. You weren't going to buy it because you're broke. And now working together, you guys both get a, a half of a deal, but a half of a deal is better than no deal at all. And so now you just went with no money, partnered with Stig and, and walked away with a deal. So that's a great way of going. The problem with that is Stig doesn't trust you because you've never proven yourself. This sounds right? so familiar. It oh, does. Yeah. I hear this <laughs> story me, all the time. Let me you tell guys. you, Stig requires a whole lot more equity than 50%. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so what, what do you do? You know, that's something working with partners as you become established is a really great way to, um, to build a portfolio. The problem is how do you get that first deal done? And what a lot of people do, if they're in a good position, they have family potentially that has some money, the family trusts them probably shouldn't have. <laughs> it gives them money and they <laughs> do a deal. Um, friends, things like that. Um, it's a, it, that's one way to go. And, and again, that'll help you build your, your track record of success. And then you kind of can go from there and move forward. I'm, I'm real curious. Have you ever seen a relationship like that build on your forum? All the time, really, like on a daily basis. Wow, on a daily basis. Yep, and and I'll brag about our site. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Our site went from a place where people go to to learn to a place where people go to learn, and and because people go and invest their time and share their knowledge um, on this platform they build their own brand. They build their own name. They build trust. I know that you know what the hell you're talking about. So when you say, Hey guys, I found this great deal. You share the deal. You share the numbers and you say, I'm looking for some partners. I'm tapped out. All my cash is deployed to these six other deals that I've got. I'm, I'm out of cash. I'm going to say, you know what? Look at, look at this. Okay. Th these numbers look good. Let's find a way to work together. And yep. yeah, it happens all the time. It's, it's amazing. I, I, I'm astonished that I built something that is helping so many people do business and, and yeah, it happens all the time. Huh. So Josh, could you, um, now we're speaking of this, could you recommend any resource if people out there listening and they're really thinking, I want to um, dig into real estate, that might be the right thing for me. Um, you know, do you have any resource that you can recommend uh, to people, any books perhaps, or websites? So, I mean, I, 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 that's like, you know, give me, give me, give me like a, a ball on a T-ball stand and let me get my, <laughs> my big league slugger and whack it out of the park here. I mean, uh, bigger pockets obviously is the site to go to the bigger pockets podcast is the podcast. I mean, we've written, we wrote a, we wrote the book on flipping houses. We, it's literally, it is the book on flipping houses. It's on Amazon. We've got the book on, on, on estimating rehab costs, which kind of pairs with the book on flipping houses. And we also wrote the ultimate beginner's guide we talked about. And then the, the book on knowing low money investing, we've written all three, we've got more books coming. 
that's just me plugging and being, you know, really greedy here. So I, I apologize. <laughs> We're on a money show. I've got to be a little greedy, but, um, all right, more like the books that have pl- played what, a role for me. Yeah. I mean, what, what books influenced you in the real estate arena? The book that influenced me was rich dad, rich dad, poor dad. Um, uh, it influenced me in so much as that it, it opened my eyes to the fact that real estate was, was kind of a, a, a great means for wealth building. Um, I'd say one of the, the, the books that I'd say the book that really got me kind of hyped up on, on finance and personal finance was the richest man in Babylon. Have you guys read that? I have not read that one. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think it's a great book. And by that, I mean like the first three minutes, but it's so tedious to read. Like the language is so old. <laughs> What's wrong with the old people, man? Come on. <laughs> I think it's just like, wow, really? No, sorry about that. <laughs> it, it's, it's a bunch of parables, right? It's, it's, it's this, this story of, you know, this, it, it talks about, for, for me, I love it because it's, it's these different ways of thinking about um, saving and making money. And, and, you know, it's written, it's like a Babylonian parable or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm going to be completely misquoted here, but, um, uh, the thing was great and let's just leave it at that. That was amazing. Um, for, for, for me also on real estate was the Forbes list. Um, looking at the richest people list, I would always dig through that when I was a kid and, and look at like, how are people making money? And if it wasn't inherited and if it wasn't made through, you know, some, you know, unicorn where you're suddenly a billionaire, uh, a lot of those folks made their money in real estate. And so it wasn't a book, but it was kind of seeing these people who are the wealthiest people on the planet. Um, and, and seeing that many of them had a path that, that started with real estate, um, was, was inspiring. And, and we talked about earlier, you know, you a lot of people's pathways vary. You know, they start with single family ho- homes and move up to multis and the multis to the next, to the next, to the next. Uh, I, and, and I've interviewed and talked to so many investors who are extremely successful and, and watching that growth um, for somebody who wants to be full-time and really build wealth through real estate um, is, is fascinating and it's possible. And, and it all comes down to um, having a, a strong knowledge base, um, doing your homework, working hard, um, being patient. There's no get rich quick in real estate. There's no get rich quick in real estate and there's no get rich quick in real estate. I mean, no matter what somebody's going to try and sell you, um, that's not true. You know, it's the, play the long game. You know, Josh, it's, it seems like for the person who is starting out and maybe wanting to do it for the first time, they need to be even extra conservative with the prices that they might pay and their analysis because they're just going to make those amateur mistakes. They're not going to yep. make the, the guy who's been doing it for 10, 20 years who knows already um, the, the mistakes he's going to make or potentially make on the deal. You don't have that knowledge base to pull from. So it seems like um, you know reading the books that you've put out there, some of these other resources that you're talking about, definitely your forum would be a great place for people to try to catch up and maybe have a little bit of that experience before they uh, you know maybe step into this and try it for the first time. But 
Um, you know, I, our audience knows that we don't bring somebody on the show that's not an, an absolute expert in what they do. And I think it's a testament to you. And, and we'll definitely have all the links to uh, your forum, to your books in our show notes so people can pull that up and reference it. And uh, folks, we can't encourage you enough to go to Josh's site because you can tell from this interview, he's a very genuine person. He's somebody who's trying to put out good information that is going to help you opposed to force feeding you down a path that might not be right for you. So I think everyone could absolutely see that from our interview, Josh. And we can't thank you enough for coming on our show. We just This has been such a fun interview, and we really appreciated the conversation we had before we started recording. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Stig, I, I hope I didn't beat you up too much. And, and- <laughs> uh I loved it. That's the way. Yeah. No. Th- and and as you said, for somebody who's who's looking to start out, um, yeah, just just be smart. Um, be be careful. I I would if there's folks out there who who I believe prey on new real estate investors. Um, there's there's nothing worse than losing money in real estate. It's really it's heartbreaking. It's really a challenge. And even listen, even. Uh, experienced people do bad deals, but it's really easy when you're new to mess up. And, and so I encourage people before they jump in, be smart, do your homework, do your research, take the time to map out your path, to draw a plan and, and, and do it. We, as a, as a financial media, you know, I consider you guys, you are the financial media, right? Um, you and, and all the shows on TV and the magazines, it's, I'm, I'm happy you have me here because I think this is, it's great to get exposure for people um, so that they can better understand um, that real estate does make sense, but you just have to be smart about it. And I wish everybody who's listening luck and, and they can reach out to me if through bigger pockets, if they've got questions and, and, you guys are rocking it. You guys are doing such a great job and thank you. Great having you on the show. Thank you so much, Fantastic. Josh. Fantastic. It's a pleasure, guys. Okay, so this is the point in the show where we take a question from our audience and this question comes from Charlie Lesky and here's what he's got for us. Hey, Preston. Hey, Stig. This is uh, Charlie Lesky from British Columbia. Uh, big fan of the show. I've been listening to it every day on the way to work and uh, please keep it up. Um, I had a few, or uh, well, I've got a lot of questions, but uh, the two that I wanted to ask right now um, currently I use Finviz as, um, a stock screener for equities, just trying to do some general research and, and, and looking at companies' backgrounds. Um, and mostly they have U.S. equities. I live in Canada and I, I would like to have some Canadian equities in my portfolio eventually. Um, can you recommend any free stock screeners out there that are similar to Finviz, having a lot of different criteria, um, that we can use for free that will also have a lot of the Canadian equities? Um, and my second question is, are there any free websites out there that offer, you know, a background of financials, you know, up to 10 years for all the different companies out there, uh, that you don't have to pay a membership fee to, because a lot of the ones that I've looked at, they want to charge you an annual fee and me being a starting investor. Um, you know, that's not something that I want to do, uh, at the moment. Uh, so if you could answer that, that would be fantastic. And I would also like to say thank you to Stig. I did, uh, Send in a question earlier uh, last week, and uh, even though I did not make it on the show, uh, he was nice enough to respond to me, which I really do appreciate. So thanks, guys. Keep it up. Look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. All right, Charlie. Uh, great question, and uh, Stig's going to go ahead and uh, answer this one for us. 
Yeah, so um, Charlie, first of all, hey, thanks for uh, for reaching out. We always appreciate again a lot of uh, questions. Um, I think one of the most popular questions is the one we have about stock screeners. Um, and you know, I I'm not really endorsing anything, but I do want to say that the one on Google is completely free. So you can just Google stock screener, and I'm pretty sure it's it's the top one. And um, I really like it, uh, partly because it's free, but it also covers uh, all of the major uh, exchanges. For instance, um, the Canadian equities. So I just pulled it up uh, before the show, and there was close to 6,000 uh, stocks in there. So I'm not completely sure how many uh, listed companies there are in Canada, but that seems like it covers uh, a lot of them. Um, and yeah, and there's plenty of... Uh, of criteria that you could uh, put in there, so that's that's probably the one that I would like to um, to uh, if not recommend, then just say hey, it's that's an option. Um, I don't know about the second one, Preston. If you have an, a favorite resource that you go to, so I I personally use Morningstar. Um, I like Morningstar. I have a paid account with Morningstar. Um, I don't necessarily know that that's something that everyone should get. Uh, the thing that I like about the paid uh, subscription with Morningstar is you get access to their certified financial analysts that write about particular picks. Um, one of the things, I guess this is one of my complaints with Morningstar, is that they don't have every single uh, major uh, company listed under that paid subscription, which you think that they would. They've got a lot, don't get me wrong, but there's some that I do pull up that there's no analysis to. Um, I particularly use that not necessarily for the estimate that they give like their their intrinsic value estimate which they do give uh, with the paid account but I look at it more for the use of identifying risks with the company those certified uh, financial analysts will list out what they think that the potential risks with the companies are and a lot of the times I find myself reading some of these risks that I did not identify myself and so I find that very helpful for trying to mitigate what could potentially go wrong with the pick. Um, so that's what I personally use. Um, I think there's other tools out there. I know if you have a Fidelity account that sometimes they have uh, free um, types of financial analyst reports that come with that, depending on what dollar threshold you got. But there's a bunch of different ones out there. I also like Morningstar because I feel like it's kind of an unbiased opinion. Like there's nobody that's trying to sell me um, some brokerage account through Morningstar. And I think that that's an advantage. But that's what I personally use. Yeah, I use uh, Morningstar too, and uh, I think the free service is uh, is great. Um, there, there's a few things that is not covered. So, for instance, um, I like to look at the last ten years, as you're saying, but um, it only shows the last five years for financial statements. So that's that's just one drawback. But it it is showing you ten years for all the major key ratios. So. I think that's sufficient. Like, um, if you have ten years, you have a pretty good picture of the company, and then if you like the company, uh, then you will go and read their um, annual reports. But you would go read their annual reports anyway, even though if you had a, a page description. Um, but I do completely uh, agree with that. We're Preston about the uh, the qualitative criteria that uh, you can find in the analyst reports. Now, it is not so that you can find them in articles, you know, on Seeking Alpha, which is completely free, but. I think it's really nice because it's it's short, so it saves me a lot of time, and it's usually very concise, the information that's in there. So it's not information, again, that you can't find elsewhere. It's really just a time saver, I guess. I guess the reason I like that, too, is I can see everything's organized in the same manner. So if I pull up a company like IBM and then I'm comparing it to Microsoft or to Google or whatever – 
it's laid out in the same exact manner. So I can kind of compare apples to apples as I'm looking across the industry where if you're using like some free uh, seeking alpha, you're going to read some random article by some person that you don't even know what their credentials are. And they might be talking about something that's just uh, random down in the weeds, only going to impact the company by one or 2%. If something would fail, like you, you're not hitting those big nuggets where I think with the Morningstar account, I'm actually getting that. So uh, maybe I'm biased, but that's what I'm using. Yeah, and just for fine disclosure, that I know we're talking a lot about Morningstar. Before that, I used MSN Money, but it's not like we affiliated with any of those sites, so it's not it's not really what we're pushing. Again, Morningstar is not trying to to sell us anything, uh, even though we had a few amazing guests from Morningstar on. It's not like we are in a collaboration with them at all. So uh, that's all we got for you guys today. Um, we really want to thank Josh for coming on the show. I mean, he just gave a fantastic interview with uh, the information that he has on real estate. And if you guys haven't checked out his site, you definitely need to go there and look at that if you're interested in, in investing in real estate. So uh, that's all we have for you today. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to The Investor's Podcast. To listen to more shows or access to the tools discussed on the show, be sure to visit www.theinvestorspodcast.com. Submit your questions or request a guest appearance to The Investor's Podcast by going to www.asktheinvestors.com. If your question is answered during the show, you will receive a free autographed copy of the Warren Buffett Accounting Book. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This material is copyrighted by the TIP Network and must have written approval before commercial application.